The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. All right, today's scripture reading is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so uh, as Park said, I'm Grant Primo. Um, and, oh, wait, I'm supposed to pray first. Let me do that real quick. That's a good idea. Jesus, please, uh, Lord, please um, let your words come out. And, um, Lord, I pray that if I say anything that is not of you, that it would just fall on deaf ears. And, um, Lord, that uh, you would open our hearts to receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, like Park said, Jonathan is sick, and he has COVID. I think some of you probably know COVID causes mental fogginess. Uh, and he, I think, has a touch of that. Um, he's forgetting the last time he asked me to come up here and speak. I quoted rap lyrics from Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> so COVID fogginess is serious. And I guess all I can say this time is to quote Sean Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z, I can't leave the game alone, the game need me. So there must be a three strike system or something. Um, I'm gonna make the most of it while I can. Uh, seriously though, it, I was praying in the last uh, like 48 hours I had to prepare about what God wanted me to say. Um, and it was kind of probably a good thing that I didn't have time to try to think up something on my own because all I could do is pray and say, God, what? what is it that you want me to say this morning? And I kept coming back to the same thing, and that is uh, community. And specifically, why community is so important to the body of the church, why we are uh, better together. Um, we live in a very individualistic society, right? I'm always being pulled, like the tide, towards self-dependence, towards really probably selfishness, uh, towards trying to arrange my life so I don't really need to be intertwined with other people because it's, it's kind of hard um, to be in community, right? Um, it's a lot easier to arrange your life so you can kind of make it easy on yourself and not have to deal with other people. And I think sometimes that even creeps into the way that we practice Christianity. You know, why bother engaging uh, with a body of believers when you can listen to podcasts of the best preachers in the world and listen to the most gifted musicians sing worship songs and follow Christian influencers on Instagram? You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. Um, well, no offense to Christian social media influencers, but, well, actually, yes, offense to Christian media, social, social media influencers. There is something wrong with that. But there's, there's nothing wrong with listening to, you know, sermons or, or worship music online. But it's just not a, it's not a good substitute for the real thing, right? It's like junk food. Um, the difference between junk food and a good, healthy meal. You know, junk food is convenient. 
Um, it usually has lots of sugar or MSG or whatever that makes it taste really good in it. So you get this immediate gratification. Um, but you can't live on junk food. You, it's not going to sustain you. Um, if you only eat junk food, you're not going to be healthy. And eating good, healthy meals uh, takes work. It's not always easy. I, I've learned as like a parent and an adult, you have to figure out what to eat. That's like half the battle right there. Um, but it, it takes work, um, but ultimately it's going to lead to a, a healthier life. And I think living in community in our Christian life is, is the same way. It takes a little work, but ultimately it's going to lead to a healthier life. You know, Christianity is not meant to be a, a solo activity. Sprinkled throughout the New Testament, there's over four dozen times where we see these one another passages to give us instruction to live with one another. Uh, you know, we are to encourage one another, Hebrews 3.13. We're to forgive one another, in Colossians 3.13. Love one another, in John 13.34. And the list goes on. In uh, John 7.20-23, Jesus prays that all believers might be perfectly one, not individually perfect, but perfectly one together in, in unity. So I think what we see in God's word over and over again is that we are better together. And this biblical call to community, partnership, to interdependence, to mission together, it, it contrasts with the way we often arrange our lives. You know, this morning I want to reflect on this call to live out our, our Christian lives together in community and challenge us to seek that as a church body. Uh, so let's look at Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 9 through 12. And if you have your Bible app, it's E-C-C-L-E-S. That'll probably get you halfway there. Um, all right, so this says at, at verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I think these verses show that we're better together and kind of give some, some good examples of how that is, how we are better together. To give some context for where this passage kind of fits in Ecclesiastes, uh, the author, who I think most people think is Solomon, he's been describing in the chapters before this how vain and meaningless and, and pointless the way we often live our lives is. And in the section right before this, he's talking about a, a, a loner, someone he calls without companion, without a brother or a son. Um, basically, somebody who's living completely for themselves. And he says he's going after riches. So he, he paints this picture of someone who just wants to have things and is constantly working to acquire more and more, just living for themselves. And then we get to this passage where he, he drives home this contrast with kind of the loner who lives for himself and the vanity of that way of living with the better way of living in community and gives us a lot of examples of how that is. So starting at verse nine, he says, two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their toil. So a couple of things here. The word for toil is, is intentionally nonspecific. You know, it, it just means whatever responsibilities or things that we have to do. And reward is more than just wages, more than just getting paid for our work, but it means uh, like a more holistic idea of success. So the idea here is that whatever your work is, companionship in that, in that difficulty, in that labor is going to lead to, to more success. Two people are going to have more success in that work than, than one. You know, wh- what are you working for? And not just what do you do for a job, but like what are you working for in your life? Um, what are you working for as a parent? What are you working for in your marriage, maybe in school, in, in your community? In all those areas, can't you see how sharing the burden is going to lead to more success, is going to make it easier? You know, as a church, what is our, what is our toil? What's our work? What's our, what's our labor? You know, I think for one, we want to see the world come to know the hope and peace that we have through Jesus Christ. You know, as we say in our benediction, we want to strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering. And sometimes those things might be easy. Maybe you could do it on your own. But those things are going to be a lot easier together. We can endure that toil and accomplish so much more if we're working together. I think we have a good example of this in, uh, in Luke 10. Jesus is sending out people, sending out disciples ahead of him uh, to every town and place that he's going to go. And it says that he sent out 72 people in groups of two. So if my math is right, I think that's 36 places that they went to. Now, Jesus could have said, all right, we're going to be super efficient. We got 72 people. Y'all go to 72 different towns. We'll reach twice as many people. But instead, he saw that we're better together. He, he sent them in groups of two, and he only reached half the amount of people, but um, they had partners. They were working together, and Jesus knew that we're better together. You know, Solomon continues to drive this home in the rest of these verses. Look at verse 10. It says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So the metaphor he's making here is um, falling like a, a pit or a ditch, which I guess happened a lot in Solomon's time. I can't say I've ever fallen into a pit before, um, but I have been stuck a lot of times. When my kids were younger, I used to get stuck all the time, like holding a sleeping baby. Yeah, I don't know if, if you have kids or if you can remember back when you had kids, uh, you probably recognize this. You have a fussy baby who you're trying to get to go to sleep and you're like rocking them and it's been hours and finally they fall asleep and your arm's in an awkward position and you can't reach your phone to even do anything. But you're like, ah, I can't, I can't transfer them to the crib. They're gonna wake up and start crying again. So you just sit there, you're, just, you're stuck on a chair. I used to come all the t- home all the time and Brooke would be in our driveway sitting in the car and it'd be running and I'd be like, why is she in the car? And I'd start walking up to the window, and she'd be like, go away, go away. And I'm like, okay, there's a sleeping baby in the car. And she can't open the door because she's like, oh, they're going to wake up, and you're not going to get in the full nap, and then you're going to have a cranky baby the rest of the day. You know, so 
there's, there's lots of times and lots of other ways to be, to be stuck rather than just in a physically stuck in a pit. You know, we, I've been stuck in a lot more places that are worse than that in my life. I'm guessing a lot of you have as well. You know, we get stuck in, in sin with no idea how to get out. We get stuck in anxiety. We get stuck in depression. And all hope seems lost by ourselves. We get stuck in situations that are just so messed up, we can't figure out what to do next. And in those seasons, we become painfully aware of our insufficiency by ourselves. In those seasons, we need help. First, from God, our rock and refuge, and then secondly, from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other in those moments to speak truth to us, to remind us of God's love, to point us towards solid ground, and sometimes just to provide the, the physical help that we need. I'm sure there are people in here this morning who feel stuck, and you're not meant to deal with it on your own. You know, we, we need each other to get unstuck. Don't feel like you have to be the one to climb out of the pit. You know, we, we need to rely on each other and help each other. Okay, so look at verse 11. It says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Okay, first of all, teenagers, no this is not a justification for biblical cuddling. Nice try. The travelers in the ancient Middle East, they couldn't go to Academy Sports and get a sub-zero sleeping bag. You know, if you're out in the road and it was cold, um, you were gonna be very uncomfortable that night sleeping by yourself. Um, but if you have someone else, you know, cuddling on a cold night, you know, brings you warmth and comfort. I don't know if you've ever been like camping on a really cold night. Uh, I went recently, uh, took my kids, Evie and Shepard and Silas, we went camping and it was one of those really weird cold stretches where it dropped down super cold and we were in the tent and everyone was cold, but we all kept like leaning closer and closer in until we're like practically on top of each other just because of the warmth until we eventually ended up in the car because some people got scared that they were getting too cold and then we're all huddled up in the back of the car cold. But when you're, when you're cold like that, you know, being together, culling up can bring both of you warmth. You know, and I think here the idea that, that Solomon's trying to drive home is that when we go through the coldest days of our life, through temptation, through grief, through adversity, Community can bring warmth. It can be the thing that brings comfort. It can be the thing that makes those cold nights bearable. Let's look at the last example of the benefit of community in verse 12. It says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So lastly here, we're given the metaphor of an attack. You know, so imagine this, you're by yourself and you get attacked, okay? You might be okay, 
or you might get whooped, right? But two are together, they can fend off the attack. And, and three, it says, won't be quickly broken. You know, we face threats every day, maybe not physical threats, but we face, I think, a lot of spiritual threats every day. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, so do you really think you are strong enough to fend off all the attacks that you face every day by yourself? Yeah, I used to think so, and then life happened, and I realized that I'm not. You know, it's hard to admit weakness, though. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to be vulnerable with others and admit that we, we can't fend off all the things that come at us. But we have to understand that, that we are targets and living in community, that safety is found in biblical community together. You look at Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. In Proverbs 17, 17, again, it says, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. So yes, it's, it's uncomfortable to ask for help, but we need each other. We need each other to strengthen us, to, to sharpen us. We need to walk alongside each other, to, to help each other, uh, to protect each other, to be there in, in times of need. Can I just be vulnerable for a moment? I am, I am really scared of parenting my kids when they get to be teenagers. The world is a lot different than it was when I was a kid, you know? I had a flip phone that had snake on it, you know? The worst thing I could do is like play snake when I'm supposed to be in class. But even if I can keep my boys from having internet phones, I know their friends are going to have them. There's nothing I can do. I, I, feel, I feel like there's nothing I can do. They are going to be around people who are going to have devices in their pockets with access to the most explicit pornography in the world on them and little half-developed brains who don't know what they're doing. I'm scared. I'm scared of how I'm going to protect them. I, I need you. I need other dads who have been through that before to help me. I need other dads who are going through that at the same time to walk beside me and give me ideas to, to help me just to be a sounding board. With my daughter, who's only 11, she already, I, I hear her friends tell her things like, you know, oh, your parents are so cruel. They're oppressing you by not letting you watch this show that I get to watch. And, and not only that, but they're like, you have the right to do it. It's your body, your choice. I'm like, I'm just... I need other adults in the church to know her. I need other voices who can speak to her to, to not be me, saying truth, saying wisdom to her. I need people like Sarah and Alec Hirsch to be cooler than I am and say things that are true and invest in her so that she might, she might hear the truth. You know, we, 
We need each other. We need as a body to be coming alongside and walking alongside each other, to protect each other, to, to be that, that threefold cord that is, is not quickly broken. Okay, to make it an official sermon, I have to have three points, so here they are. Um, I have three challenges for us as a body to be intentional about building community. Um, number one, don't forget the benefits of community. It's so much easier to go at it alone. It's easy to drop into church, to walk out without really engaging. Um, it's hard to take steps to build community. It it's, can be messy and awkward um, to try to do the things it takes to build relationships. And when we're tempted to take the easy way out and leave these kind of solo lives, I think we need to remember all the benefits that community provides. You know, we've seen just in these verses that you can accomplish more and have more success. You can help get unstuck. You can find comfort. You can resist attack all through living in this biblical community together. But if that's not enough for you, um, I, I, I saw this study from a little place called Harvard University. Ever heard of it? The Harvard study of adult development is the longest running study on happiness. Brooke, who's in grad school, tells me it's a longitudinal study, which sounds very official. So this project has followed 724 people since they were teenagers in 1938. And over the years, the researchers collected all kinds of health information and behavioral information. Every two years, they would do these surveys where they not only asked these 724 people, but also their families, their kids, other family members about their mental and emotional wellness. And they found that specific behaviors were linked with increased levels of happiness. Okay, this is going to shock you. They found the thing that is the most strongly associated with living a happy life is having close relationships. Apparently, the genius brains at Harvard hadn't read Ecclesiastes yet. Um, they had to conduct the world's longest-running study to figure that out. But they, say, they came to the same conclusion, right? That we're better together, that we need each other, that when we live in community, we live happier lives. You know, so please don't forget the benefits that living in community provides when you're, you're tempted to take the easy way out and go it alone. You know, number, number two, don't forget that community extends from the oldest to the youngest. I think the familiar story of Jesus welcoming the children uh, paints a, a beautiful example for us in fostering, I think, the kind of cross-generational community that we should be trying to create. You know, in that story of Jesus, you know, he welcomes the children. The disciples are trying to keep them away. The disciples are like we are a lot. Like, you know, get those dang kids out of here. Go turn on some veggie tails. Adults are trying to talk. But we're missing out if we only live in community with people our own age. You know, there's so many benefits to cross-generational community. There's so many benefits for us adults of having kids around. You know, 
Kids skip. Levi Weldon was skipping when he was walking around during the service today. Kids skip. Adults don't skip, you know? It's wild. You get to a certain age, like eight or nine, and you're skipping, and that's just it. You might live another 90 years, and you never skip again. But skipping is like walking with joy. And for me, just watching somebody, watching Levi skip, it just makes you a little happy, you know? People talk about uh, a runner's high, but nobody knows how many miles you have to run to get that high. No one's ever done it yet. But skipping, it's like instant joy. You're instantly happy. And kids skip all the time. Could you, could you imagine going to the park and there's just a group of middle-aged men and, you know, like, hey, bro, you want to skip? And they're like, yeah, let's go. And they're just skipping down the trail. You know, you'd be weirded out, but they'd be grinning ear to ear, full of happiness, and you're grimacing trying to get to your runner's high that never comes. <laughs> you know, but skid, kids, they, they do things like that. They just have joy that is infectious. As I, told, uh, I told Ashley and John Mark this last, last week I was with the, in the preschool class, and um, I was helping with other kids, and Rigsby uh, Wolski, he was, he was talking, he was telling me about Three Ninjas. You know that old movie from the 90s, Three Ninjas? He was saying that he had seen Three Ninjas lately. And so I talked to Zion Duro, and I was like, hey, have you ever seen Three Ninjas? And he said, I've seen a hundred ninjas. <laughs> I mean, that's a better joke than any adult could come up with, right? <laughs> like, kids are happy. I think we need that infectious joy that they that they bring. I'm glad that we are a church that welcomes kids into worship, even though we occasionally get hit in the back of the head with a flag. It, it's good for us to create space to be with one another. We need kids to, to teach us stodgy adults the innocence and the joy that they have. We need the more senior folks to pass wisdom along to us. I think it's important that our community extends across generations, and so let's not forget to foster community from the oldest to the youngest. And lastly, number three, don't, don't miss out on easy opportunities for community. Um, you know, Jonathan and Brad, they, they didn't tell me, like, go out and pitch for community groups. I think actually today in the bulletin, there, are, there is a list of the community groups. I, did, I swear I didn't know that that was going to be in there. I think it's pretty clear that there's absolutely no oversight of what I say. So, um, But just based totally on my own experience, it's so helpful to find a smaller group to be a part of. And it's so much easier to build those kind of deep and lasting connections when you're part of a smaller group. You know, for the first couple years that we attended Shades, um, we didn't go to a small group. It was hard. We had lots of excuses. Uh, It interferes with kids' nap time. We're just too tired, too much else going on, you know, whatever. Um, But it was really laziness and complacency that kept us from joining. And now that we've been in a group for the last several years, I consider it one of the most important things that, that we do. Um, you know, the people in my group are like family. A lot of them we've been living life with for years. And 
even when we just get together and do absolutely nothing super spiritual at all, but just hang out, it helps to build those bonds, those relationships that are invaluable to me. Those things that, that people I know I can rely on to help me in the ways like, like Solomon described and we read here in Ecclesiastes. Um, I wouldn't have the strong relationships that I have here at the church without that group. So, um, I know for some people, though, like, it's, that's just not your thing. It's just in your personality, you just can't do that. And, and I, that's fine. But could you ask somebody to go to lunch? Could you ask somebody to go for a hike or maybe a skip? Could you, you know, could you go out to dinner? Bill Ferris told me on Friday that his goal is to make dinner and bring it to every single person in shades. So... Bill, I'm volunteering you. If you don't have somebody to eat dinner with, Bill will go eat dinner with you. Sorry, Bill. But find ways to get into smaller situations where you have smaller groups of people where you can, you can really dig in and, and build relationships. Okay, that's it. Uh, we need each other. Let's do this together. You know, uh, COVID, the lockdowns really made this more um, acute for me. I, I don't think I realized before then like how important community is, even in the simple things, um, like being in worship and hearing other voices. Hearing uh, Joshua Kaler, I don't know if he's here, but hearing Joshua Kaler sing, man, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like being in community and, and, and praising and worshiping with other believers it can be so hard sometimes when the world seems so lonely and so hostile towards, towards what you believe, but to be together to, together and to hear other voices worshiping uh, can be a, just a, a balm for your soul to encourage you and, and lift you up. Um, so we're gonna go into a time of worship and communion now and try to listen for those voices of those around you singing. Um, and I'm going to ask you to do something that a lot of people are not going to like. Um, and if you can't do it, okay, that's fine. But if you can, ask somebody to go and take communion with you. Uh, this is something that I think we're meant to do together. It's something that you can do together. Um, so let's, let's pray for each other. Uh, let's remind each other as we take the bread that Christ's body was broken for us, for you, for me, and for us, that his, his blood was spilled to create this new covenant of grace for us. You know, so come and, and take communion and, and worship. And let me pray for us before we do that. Jesus, thank you that you have given us each other. You don't leave us or expect us to live this life alone, but you have given us the blessing of each other. Help us to be intentional about fostering community. Help us to be intentional about seeking out ways that we can love and help and protect and encourage and comfort one another because we need each other. You know that. You made us for that. So Lord, I pray that you would inspire us, 
um, and help us to take advantage and hold of those opportunities to live uh, in community with each other and with you, Jesus. In his name we pray.